Welcome to this hour of Flames Talk. It's Monday, October 16th. We're underway from our Doug Lacey's Basement Systems downtown studio on Apple, Spotify, Google, Amazon, or wherever you get your podcasts. And a little Monday with Logo. Steinberg and Logan Gordon along with you. Hi, buddy. Hello, Patrick. Um, I, I thought I came away from Saturday's 5-2 loss in Pittsburgh actually feeling more positive than negative about the Flames, despite what was... I don't know if I would say it's a collapse. They only had a one nothing lead after 40 minutes of play, but a third period that unraveled on them a little bit. And the first six minutes specifically of the third period, it went from one nothing on Matt Coronado's first NHL goal to 3-1 Pittsburgh in seemingly the blink of an eye. I came away thinking more positively than negatively. I came away actually feeling decent about some of the steps the Flames took from one game to the next because... I was actually not all that impressed with them at all in Wednesday's home opener against Winnipeg. And so I thought they they did take some steps in game two against Pittsburgh. In saying that, there's still clearly um, things that they need to figure out and things that they need to fine tune and things that they're going to need to continue to work on. But for 40 minutes, I thought they controlled that game. They showed real improvement in their overall game, their five-on-five game. There's still... There's no doubt that some of their D-zone reads and puck management decisions in their own zone need lots of work. That's definitely the area that is going to be the biggest area of development for this team in the early stages. But that, that's kind of, I, I thought they actually played a pretty decent game, all things considered. And as much as they end up coming away with the regulation loss, I thought there were things to more things to like than not to like about Saturday night. Yeah, I don't know that I'm quite as positive on Saturday as you are. I think that there was some good mixed in with some bad. Uh, I think you're right. The five on five play took a big step forward, which was, which wasn't saying much. The The five on five play against Winnipeg really was abysmal. So for it to take a step good forward, word. wasn't good asking, word. wasn't asking much. Uh, that's gotta be more towards the level that they played. I thought Jacob Markstrom, this is a good and a bad thing. I think he bailed him out a bit in the first, especially given some of the, special teams opportunities that Pittsburgh had. That's a good thing. Jacob Markstrom's play continues to be, at least in my mind, one of the very big positives for this team through two games. And the second part being, I still don't think you want to rely on him as much as you right. necessarily needed to. Um, yeah, the five-on-five play, I think, improved for me. I liked that they were getting more pucks to the net uh, more effectively than they did against Winnipeg. And yeah, the third period, obviously you never want to give up five goals. Uh, in the third period and and lose a game. That's Captain Obvious moment for you. But yeah, it's two games into the season. I don't think there's a team out there, Pat, that doesn't have something to work on through their first uh, 120 minutes of the season. Well, and we'll dive, I'll I'll dive in on some of my positives and and what I saw in the game in a second. But um, I thought, I, I think that what we're seeing very clearly is a team that is by no means fully comfortable with, 
a new way of uh, a new way of playing in their own zone, a new way of exiting their zone, and just some of the philosophical shifts we've seen with the team. And so, what what I point to is the third goal. Uh, sorry, the fourth goal, the Malkin goal, the four one goal, which was the direct result of a Noah Hannafin turnover. And essentially, what happened on that play, and this is kind of a microcosm. Of uh, oh, there's Danny Austin just walked by the uh, just walked oh. by the studio. Um, it was kind of a microcosm of what I think we've seen a lot of so far this year. So Hannafin gets the puck on the left side and just throws it up the boards, and it turns out it was easily picked off. And I think it was Riley Smith who who picked it off, fed it right to Malkin, who then placed it past Markstrom. Bam! It's four one. And on the paper, you just look at that play in a bubble and you say, oh, that's just an egregious giveaway by Mr. 600 Noah Hannafin. And while it wasn't a great giveaway, what I think you're seeing is that Hannafin did what they're trying to do more of, and that is get pucks off of sticks, specifically blue liner sticks, immediately. Yes. And they want that. They, they don't want D2D passing anywhere near as much. They they want the blue liner to get it and then quick up and get out of the zone. And that's exactly what Hannafin did. But it's not just the defenseman with the puck that is adjusting. It's the forwards in front of them that are also adjusting to where they need to be and kind of the, the second nature of where they're supposed to be as the team exits. So Hannafin made the right play, got it up the made, made I don't want to say they made the right play, but made the decision to get it off his stick quickly and get it up the boards while didn't have the forward support that they had designed, and it turns out it turns out to be a giveaway in the back of the net. And so I guess my point is is that in time, that's gonna become or that's going to look a whole lot better. And you're going to see the forwards in the right spot and they're going to adjust. And so for the time being, maybe you need a look here or an extra look there before you make that decision. And just as kind of a small adjustment as some of these things become a little bit more second nature. So I think that's an, and Coleman situation on the second goal, very similar. I just think there are some fine tuning things that are happening that can only be fixed with more time, can only be fixed with more full-speed reps, and you can only get more comfortable going against an opponent at full speed. So that's that's why I'm not super concerned about some of the egregious giveaways, because there were. There were three of them, yep. and they ended up in the back of County. There were net. some against Winnipeg as well that led to some pretty key opportunities as well, and I think it is going to be part of the process for this team. And it's not even for me, Pat, and I know you don't look at it this way either. It's not just a defensive thing. It's a team thing. It's a whole system thing. And I think a lot of the coaches would tell you this, that you're right. It's just as much about the forwards making themselves available to the defenseman to get out of the zone quickly, or even your defensive partner, right? They've got guys like Rasmus Anderson, Mackenzie Weger, who are more than capable of skating the puck out of their own zone. If that's the situation, you have to do a better job making sure that there is a good outlet for your uh, for which whoever has the puck in your own zone after a, a battle, after a save, whatever the situation is. It's almost, to me at this point, becoming a 50-50 situation where, yes, that guy with the puck obviously has to make a good read and has to not put it on the tape of an opposing player and a scoring opportunity. That's basic for everyone. But just as much of it, if you don't give that guy any good outlets, you can't be surprised right. when something bad happens. So it's going to be incumbent on everybody on the ice. Okay, 
We're going up the ice. I can't just bolt off for a change right now. I got to make sure that Hannafin or Weger, whoever it is, has a good outlet, and then I can work our way up the ice and get into those things. I'm with you. I think it's still a process for this team. Definitely understanding that because yeah, getting up the ice fast, getting up the ice quick is good. It's a good theory. You've got to be supportive of your team yeah. to get there. It's not just going to be a one pass and you're uh, moving on sort of thing for this group. I uh, I thought that for the vast majority of that game, like 55, 54 minutes, they had Pittsburgh on the back foot. They had the Penguins uh, running around in their own zone. I thought they did a pretty decent job of generating chances from their zone time. Uh, it was it didn't feel to me quite the same as the shoot from the parking lot and nothing is really all that dangerous. There were some quality opportunities that the Flames were able to generate at five on five. They missed a bunch of them. Didn't even get them on to Delkovich. But I, I I thought I thought that was strong as well. But I want to double back on your Jacob Markstrom point because. I, I, I know that he allows four, and I think his save percentage dropped from like 920 to 892, I think is what it dropped in one game, which is what happens early in the year. Mm-hmm. But I, I, had, I, I do not come away from that game thinking any differently about Jacob because he held the only thing Pittsburgh had going in the first period was their power play, and it was dangerous. And Markstrom was dialed, made two or three 10 bell stops in the first period to keep it scoreless. And then his team kind of. The, the, the team kind of gave away some really quality scoring opportunities to the Penguins. That I mean, the first the first goal from behind the net, it happened on a giveaway, and I don't really think Markstrom's all that culpable on it because he's playing the shot, takes a weird bounce. Like most goalies are going to be off their post, and Brian Russ just made a great, great play. The second goal is a two-on-one Riley Smith shot that he rips past him. The third goal off the faceoff. Good luck on that shot. That's a great set play by Pittsburgh. Oh, was it was a perfect set play. Absolutely labeled. Gensel hits that 99 out of 100 times. And then Malkin in alone, and it wasn't a hard shot, but a perfectly placed shot by one of the best of all times. So I, I came away still thinking very positively about Jacob Markstrom's start to the season. Yeah, you're not going to find any uh, argument from me because I, I, going back to the first period, thought that they could have been in trouble with the penalties they were getting into and just the special teams play always early, Pat gives me a a bit of worry because it just takes everyone that much longer to get into the flow of things. When the guys on special teams have to, whether it's power play or shorthanded, you know, you don't still get a chance to to run through your lines. It takes guys a little bit longer to get into it. I thought that was a problem for Calgary against Pittsburgh on Saturday. And I thought that Jacob Markstrom, with a couple of really key saves, a couple of really big ones, uh, that were saving the game worthy in the first period that uh, kept it scoreless and kept the Flames into this before Coronado was able to open up the scoring. Um, a text comes in talking about Matt Coronado's uh, minus four, uh, and I want to get to that in a second because I actually feel really... B- he had a ugly dash four beside his name, and he wasn't... I, I You go back and you watch, like, that's just bad luck dash four. An empty netter... And then three egregious giveaways that he had no part in. That yeah, he just welcome, happened to be on welcome the Welcome to why some of us struggle so much with plus minus. Because on paper, looks egregious, right? And you're sitting there going, is this what guy getting game. it? This guy getting it defensively? And then you got to watch for it and actually key into where 27 is on all those plays. And you go, like you said, he didn't have anything to do with any of them. Like literally nothing he could have done. Manjapati coughs it up. Of them. Shot from behind the net, minus one. 
Uh, then the cough up from Coleman. Coleman never makes that nope. d- mistake. And next thing you know, it's 2-1 in 23 seconds, dash two. Uh, then he's on the ice for the face-off play where everybody lost contain. So now it's dash three and then an empty netter and he's minus four. You're like, geez, like the poor guy. That's, that's, <laughs> I, I know it looks bad and people can go, and he oh, scored, oh. right? And you're like, oh, what's going on? And if he doesn't get a plus on the goal <laughs> no. because it's power play goal. So you're like, oh, poor Matt Coronado, like a minus four, but he doesn't really deserve the minus four. Um, I actually think I, I actually think he's been just fine. I thought he was one of the positives in the game against uh, against Pittsburgh. I mean, first of all, the goal he scores, that's the type of goal you actually do tell your grandkids about. You don't have to lie about that. <laughs> like, he absolutely murdered that puck, yep. and that's the type of goal that you're going to see uh, – from him on, on, I think, a somewhat regular basis because we know he can shoot it. We know he gets to soft spots. You go and you take a look at the sequence. He releases a couple of times to find himself soft spots on the ice, and he gets found on that uh, on that final pass, and he absolutely blows it by Nadelkovich. And so that, he has been an impact maker on the power play. He has looked... He has looked like a guy that belongs on a top power play unit in the NHL. And to say that for a guy who now has three games under his belt in the NHL is pretty impressive. There are other areas of his game that are obviously going to have to improve, and, and they will over time. It just happens as an NHL rookie. But three games into a career, he looks like he belongs on a top power play unit on most teams in this league. That's impressive to say. Yeah, he sort of forced himself into that role if it was me. Because he didn't start the beginning of training camp in that spot. But it's kind of been undeniable. All of the things that he does really well, creating space, finding those opportunities in the offensive zone. where It's a little bit quieter where he can find some of that space to get that shot off. The shot itself, which is an absolute howitzer. Uh, and finds a, a great spot over Nedeljkovic's shoulder. All of those things work to being a top power play guy, and that's what Matt Coronado's skill set is is all about right now. There's there's just to me there's no better place to have him on that. And yes, you're right. Are there things as a young NHL that he's got to get better at as far as his entire game goes? Sure, but you can't hold him back from what situations clearly dictate. He's going to be the best at that kind of shot, that release, all of those things, finding the quiet zone, everything we talked about just suits a, a top unit power play so well. And we finally got a good taste of that. And it, like you said, it didn't take long, three games into his NHL career for us to sit there and go, yeah, that's exactly what we've been talking about. That's exactly what we've been seeing in practice yeah. uh, from this guy. And, and like I said on Saturday night. I think that's going to be the first of a lot of goals he scores like that in the league. So, and look, I think the five on five game is going to be a work in progress because he's an NHL rookie. I think there have been some stretches where his line at five on five uh, with Kadri has had some issues, uh, especially the game against Pittsburgh. I thought they had some uh, a rough stretch. I, everybody was underwater against Winnipeg on Wednesday. There was one positive possession player against the Jets. So I just. For two important games, because Game 82 last year was a great welcome to the NHL and an awesome moment for him, but it meant nothing. It was like a glorified preseason game. These two mean something, and he's looked like he's belonged. He's looked like a guy who has some high-end talent, who's young, and his game's going to be refined. But for a 20-year-old who now has three NHL games under his belt, he is tied for second in overall team shot attempts with 10. He uh, is tied for third with overall scoring chances at six. 
and he is tied for second with high danger scoring chances at three in two games. Like from an offensive impact standpoint, Coronado is doing what you are hoping that he would do. And you take the all round game growing pains. You take those all day with a 20 year old who's impacting your offense like this. And yeah, you know what? You might need to shelter him at five on five sometimes. And that might be part of it in the, in the first 10, 20 games, like most rookies, but the guy, the guy's helping drive the offensive bus right now. And, and I, uh, so I, I'm not worried about the minus four on Saturday, and I am quite impressed with what I've seen from number 27 in his first two NHL games. He's, uh, whether it's a Camilleri comparison, somebody on the text line says he reminds them of uh, Alex DeBrinkett. Like, just, he looked like Camilleri was reincarnated. Camilleri's still with us, of course. He's still, uh, but <laughs> still listening, looked, Mike. Um, still Mike, we know you're still alive. Uh, but he looked like Mike Camilleri on that shot. Like that's yeah, exactly how Camilleri of, scored 39. He that just one sort year. of very subtly makes a, a nice move away from where all the traffic is, and the puck gets to him there, and he just puts it home. It's just it's a subtle. It's a very subtle thing because you've got to get to that spot, Pat, without drawing a defender's attention to suddenly shift over to yep, take that exactly. angle away from you, but he's doing it intentionally. It kind of, it looks very natural. And it looks just like, okay, he's just kind of sliding towards where the open ice is, but to do that and not attract the defenseman's attention so that he's still open when he does get the puck, that's a skill that takes a lot of work. And it's something that he's shown off. And there's just not a lot of guys on the flames who are as talented in that sense as he is offensively. I think you're hundred percent right. You're going to put up with some of the growing pains in other areas because he's so advanced at this level. Uh, of what he's doing in offensive standards. And I don't I don't want to I'm not comparing players, but I just this is what came to mind. I, I remember vividly when Brad Living made the trade that sent Marcus Granlin to Vancouver and Hunter Shinkarik to Calgary and he just said, you know, the hardest thing to do in the NHL is score goals and we think Shinkarik has the potential to do that. Obviously that didn't play out. I'm not trying to compare the players. It's just the thing that Treliving said and he would keep on saying that throughout his tenure in Calgary is the hardest thing to do is put the puck in the net at the NHL level. And through two important NHL games, Matt Coronado has shown that, you know, he's got the ability to be dangerous in that regard. He's got the one goal. He's been around it. He's had opportunities. He's more and more less timid in shooting it. And I think that's only going to improve. So that was uh, a heck of a first goal. Okay. Th- this I think is, is somewhat of a hot take. You, you tell me, sure. um, I, I honestly think, that was the best I've ever seen Jonathan Huberdeau look as a member of the Calgary Flames. I thought he was their best skater on Saturday night. I thought he was dynamic. I thought he was involved. His his distribution game was on point. He comes away. He was trying to pass the puck that ends up going in, but he scores a goal. He has three points in his first two games. But listen to these numbers on Huberdeau against the Penguins. One goal. He had nine shot attempts. So for all those people screaming about him not Shoot. shooting it enough, Shoot he had nine attempts, five of them on net. He had eight of his nine attempts were scoring chances, and four of his attempts were from the slot and the high danger area. His line was strong. He, Manjapani, and Lindholm were over 65% possession on Saturday. Attempts were 17-9 when they were on the ice. High danger chances were 5-2 five five when they were on the ice at 5-on-5. Five that was, I thought it was like, eh, I thought Huberdeau was okay, but got a couple of points against Winnipeg. 
had some not-so-good stretches, but comes away with two points. I thought he was their best skater on Saturday. And and that Jonathan Huberdeau is the Jonathan Huberdeau that people were so excited about in July of 2022. If that is the guy we see more of, then, yeah, we might be talking about 85 and 90 points from the guy because he looked like a high-end offensive talent on Saturday. And I can't remember at any point last year actually feeling that way as as he really struggled through last season. I can't remember coming away from a game saying, oh, boy, number 10 looked dynamic last night. Well, on Saturday, I really thought he did. Yeah, it's interesting. I can't... I can't remember off the top of my head many nights feeling as good as I did about Jonathan on Saturday. I I think there were a few times where he showed it and continued to give you those flashes, but maybe not as consistently through a 60-minute game. There was always seemed to be a bit of a drop-off. It would be a good first, and then maybe a a not-so-great second period or something like that would kind of influence you. Yeah, I think as far as looking at his game as a whole from start to finish, if it wasn't the best, it was certainly one of his best performances as a Calgary Flame. And I think you're going to need a lot more of that from him. I think that's the kind of guy that you're right, does score at an elite pace in the NHL because he's doing all of the things offensively. He looked, he looked dangerous. It just looked like something was going to happen when he had the puck on his stick. There was a confidence to it that he wasn't just going to, to lose it in the first bit of contact, or and if a board battle came up, uh, he wasn't just going to be beaten off the puck like he it has happened at some points. Uh, yeah, it was good. It was, I think, the key to will obviously is always consistency with with even the best players on this team and in this league. Uh, but yeah, for him, it's it's going to be doing more of that and showing that you can be yeah. that guy uh, night in, night out. Because I don't think there was anything that he did that was unsustainable. That's always the key thing for me. It's like, you know, those guys that have the one season where they shoot 21% or something like that, that's never going to happen. Yeah. It's just not possible. So you, I put that in the unsustainable category. Nothing that Jonathan Huberto did on Saturday was to the point that he can't repeat it tonight or in Buffalo or in Columbus. That to me has got to be the key thing for him is it can't just be a one-off flash for Jonathan Huberto. We've got to see more of it 100%. throughout the season. And, and, Again, that's why it, as if that is the guy that we see more of as the season goes along, then I think we're talking about a guy that can have the bounce back season that everybody is hoping for. A few texts, and, and I would say a few inevitable texts come in. This says, sweet, close only counts in horseshoes. Uh, Huberto's not worth $10.5 million. And this says, last year he did well in the first 10 games too. I guess we'll see. And, and, and be cynical if you want. Like, yeah, it's fully your right. And, and I understand it because last year was so, was so drastically bad. But this guy has been a point per... The guy was well over point per game for four straight seasons prior to last year. And so... You just don't lose that. And, and I that know that... That just doesn't disappear exactly. from... From your lexicon of... You, you, uh, you just... I don't see anybody in the NHL that just goes from not like I said. There are there instances where are you Jonathan Chichu and you score fifty one season and then you never come close to it again for the rest of your career. Sure, but Huberto's got a decade of doing this in the NHL. You don't that doesn't just disappear from your skill set, your ability. That just doesn't go away in a in a single season. And so and and so he goes. He had ninety two and eighty two. 78 and 69, 
61 and 55 and 115 and 80. That is four straight seasons of being well over a point per game player in the NHL. And then obviously last year, adjustment, uh, coaching, headbutting, all all of what went into the nightmare that was last year. He had a brutal season, a historically bad drop. Um, but that doesn't mean that he is no longer a good player. And what I saw on Saturday, that to me was really encouraging. And just finally, one one more positive. Because two games into the season, I'd much rather talk positively. I went through last year. I don't need to go through that again. Let's be positive early on in the year. Um, I've really liked A.J. Greer. That has been a really good pickup for him. And I have really liked what I've seen from him. That uh, That line was consistently dangerous every single shift on Saturday against Pittsburgh. Greer had that opportunity early in the first period against Winnipeg. He's been physical. He plays with speed. I, I've really, I had, I did not know what to expect. And obviously you go out and you claim a guy on waivers. There's always going to be like, okay, well, waivers. So what, what exactly are you getting? He's been really good. And, and in his role as the number four left wing right now, He's done everything that they've asked of him and more. I've been really impressed with, with AJ Greer. It's, and, and look, I took heat for this. Oh, we did our Uh-oh. predictions on sports. We did earlier last week. We did, you know, who's a flame that's going to surprise you this year in a positive way. And I picked AJ Greer uh, just based off of what we heard from him. I, I liked some of the, the intangibles that he brought from from Boston, but I just, I liked what he talked about being a positive presence, bringing energy uh, as a fourth line, creating havoc, all those sort of things. He skates really well. He's physical, like you mentioned. Uh, he's very solid in his own defensive zone, which I think has been a, a an underrated part of his game early on here in two games. He's not a liability so far throwing that fourth line over the boards. They've been right around 10 to, to 13 minutes, uh, those guys on the fourth line. So they're not simply you know a 7 to 10 minute throwaway on the fourth line. I've been really impressed. And it's not – I'm not – saying he's going to be Wayne Gretzky or that uh, he's going to turn into this, but you can be a, a very positive impact player from your performances on the fourth line. And you're right. For a guy that came in here immediately off of waivers and was asked to jump on this fourth line and be a part of the, an energy line and be a part of a checking line for this group at times, he's been really good. I think he's fit in pretty seamlessly. Number three possession player through two games. He's up over 60%. Uh, shot attempts at five on five or 20 to 13 when he's out there. Um, you've got, uh, they, they've scored the, they've been on the ice for the one goal. Um, and he's done it all with, um, 20% on the offensive zone start. So I, I give, I give that so far through two games, full marks. Now it's six two periods, yeah. but he's not coming out of the lineup anytime soon for me. He's staying stapled on that left wing. Walker Dewar might be their most consistent player through the first two games. He's also been great. Thought he was all around it again on Saturday. And I, I actually, like, I'm not splitting that line up. I know they moved Ruzicka up with Kadri, and that was, eh, whatever. I, I thought, actually, Ruzicka was pretty good on Saturday um, and on that left-wing spot with Kadri. But Sharon Govich had by far preseason and now regular season. Sharon Govich looked the most comfortable and the most uh, effective in that number four center spot. So I'm keeping Sharon Govich with Greer and Dewar all day if it continues to play the way they did on, or the way they did, sorry, on Saturday. Night. It was nice to see a fourth line skating as well as they did and creating a couple opportunities here and there just based off of their hard work. And 
That's not to take a shot at any of the other fourth lines here, but uh, the way that they've rolled it out this year, Pat, I think you've got to be happy through two games with what you've gotten out of them. Yeah. We'll see. A good, uh, a good start for that line. A one-and-one one start to the season for the Calgary Flames. And uh, now one of five down on this five-game road trip with Logo. I'm Steinberg. We're underway. And we're coming at you this hour from the Doug Lacey's Basement Systems downtown studio. Your local experts for basement waterproofing, sump pumps, crawl spaces, foundation repair, and radon mitigation. They're all things basement-y. Visit dlbasementsystemscalgary.com. This is Flamestock. Join the conversation at 960-960. Sportsnet 960 The Fan. All right, Monday edition of your Daily Flames Roundtable brought to you by Mercedes-Benz Country Hills. Get the chance to drive a brand new GLC 300 with zero down for $1,099 a month. Mercedes-Benz Country Hills minutes from the Calgary Airport on this Monday edition of the program. It's Steinberg, Logan Gordon, and other voice of the Flames, Derek Wills, as always, to complete our Daily Flames Roundtable. Gents, uh, starting with a look back to Saturday, uh, and we, we talked a little bit about this earlier this hour, Derek, but... Boy, Matt Coronado scores his first career NHL goal on Saturday in the loss to the Penguins. And boy, has he looked comfortable in his first two meaningful NHL games. Like, that that is the thing that's jumped out most to me, guys, is he looks on the power play and just overall. He looks like he belongs at this level, and there really hasn't been much of a question about it so far. That's my observation. Just curious as to where you guys are. Yeah, I mean, he's fit in like a glove on the Flames' first power play unit. And uh, the Flames have scored a power play goal in both games they've played this season. So uh, he's been a nice addition to PP1. Five on five, I think he's looked fairly comfortable. The one thing that I think he's still trying to get used to is the speed. Uh, The NHL is the fastest league in the world. It's faster than it's ever been. And it sure is a lot faster than what he was used to playing at the college level. So I think uh, the pace is still something he's probably trying to get accustomed to. But, you know, the guy looks comfortable in the sense that uh, he doesn't panic when he's got the puck on his stick. He'll hold it. He'll make plays. He'll take shots. And, yeah, I mean, it was great to see him get his first NHL goal and just his third NHL game on Saturday. And without it, he hasn't jumped out to me as much in the regular season as he did in the preseason where his work ethic without the puck was simply outstanding. Now, I think you can probably explain that because he was fighting to to start the season in the NHL and playing against a lot of guys who didn't feel the need to fight for a spot on their team. So, you know, his work ethic was outstanding in the preseason. And I'm not saying that his work ethic has fallen off in the regular season. I just think the work ethic of the players around him on both teams has risen a notch or two. So he hasn't popped to me as much in that sense. But, you know, for a guy who's got three NHL games under his belt, uh, looking pretty good, it just has to work on that plus minus rating moving forward. Yeah, I think as far as the things that we know Matt Coronado excels at, guys, he's looked incredibly comfortable. Uh, the offensive zone instincts, what he's doing on the power play. I said to Pat earlier, Derek, I think that he forced himself onto the first power play unit here in Calgary um, just by being so advanced at that position and knowing how to find space, that incredible shot that we saw find the back of the net on Saturday night against Pittsburgh. Those sort of things that we knew were NHL level or even maybe a little bit above for Matt Coronado, 
He's looked very comfortable in those senses. The rest of it, yeah, I think it's still going to be a, a growing process, but not unlike any other uh, first-round pick or any other NHL are coming in. I, I think those are things that most guys have to work at. Five-on-five five play, finding chemistry with your line mates. He's kind of been in a lot of different scenarios during training camp and preseason. He hasn't really been in one set forward spot. He's seen different centermen. He's seen different wingers. I think that's an adjustment process. And, you know, to your point, Derek, about speed and physicality, those sort of things at the NHL level, that's something that every young player coming from NCAA hockey, junior hockey, whatever it is, has to adapt and grow to. Defensively, there's a shift as to how guys play the puck, how they shoot, all those things are things that he has to work on. So it's certainly not out of the norm, I think, to see a, a young player struggle in some of those areas. But, yeah, as far as what we knew he was going to excel in and what he was always going to make the team for guys, which was his offensive capabilities yeah. and the fact that he can drive this offense to a degree, those have looked very strong for Matt Cornell early on. Yeah, and and with a 20-year-old rookie who has played in now six meaningful NHL periods, I just I, I think it's something to be impressed by what he's able to do or what he's been able to do offensively. Because yeah, you're I, I'm the first one to talk about how you know young forwards, young defense, but sometimes you got to shelter them. And Sean Monahan had to be sheltered for most of his first year in the NHL. Even into his second year in the NHL, there was lots of sheltering going on, and lots of other young forwards who have come in with the Flames have have had to, you know, coaches have had to tailor where they play because there are a lot of things that you just have to go trial by fire on when it comes to especially the five-on-five game at the highest level. But for a 20-year-old with next to no NHL experience to be top three on the Flames in individual shot attempts, individual scoring chances, and individual high danger chances for him to be top three in all of those metrics through two games like that—that's something to be impressed by. And you don't—you don't have guys that do that all the time. You don't have players who are first-year players on the Flames who just jump in and make that much of an offensive impact right away. And It's early, and he's got to sustain it, and there's a lot of ifs, and there's a lot of wait and see left, but through two games, especially knowing where he is in his career and how much experience he has, I, I've been really, really impressed, and I, I think I think I've it's it's exceeded what I was expecting early on this year. Granted, through just two uh, two games. Yeah, he's been really impressive offensively. There's no doubt about it. Uh, and I alluded to his plus-minus rating earlier. He is a team worst minus six. But you and I were talking about it uh, with Megan Mickelson post game on Saturday, following that five-two loss to the Penguins. But when you look at the goals the game Flames gave up in the third period of that game, yeah, he was on the ice for four of them. But can you blame him for any of them? I don't think so. Uh, plus minus is a stat that I certainly take with a grain of salt. Uh, players on good teams tend to have good plus minus ratings. Players on bad teams tend to have bad plus minus ratings. And the uh, clubhouse leader for the green jacket right now is a really good player on a really good team. And that's Dmitry Orlov of the Hurricanes. So, uh, don't panic when you look at uh, Matt Coronado's plus minus rating, but he's got uh, a unique skill set because he can score from, I think, pretty much anywhere on the ice. The Flames don't have a lot of those guys, and he's a right shot, right winger. And I know 
that there are a lot of people clamoring to see Matt Coronado play on the right side of a line with Elias Lindholm and Jonathan Huberto. And I'm not saying that I'm not one of those people. I'm just not holding my breath for that to happen, guys, because the Flames have three right shot forwards. Three. And one of them is Walker Dewar. And with all due respect to the South Dakotan, I don't think he's going to be put into that spot on the right side of a line with Lindholm and Huberto. So uh, they're trying to find a fit, Logan, to your point. Where does Matt Coronado fit best as far as what line he's going to be playing on at five on five? I'm not convinced that's going to be with Nazem Kadri. Maybe Michael Backlund. I think that's a pretty good place to start. Yeah, it's going to be an interesting one to watch. Is as I think there's four or five wingers that they're trying to experiment with and figure out exactly what they fit, and I'm with you. I think Coronado is one of them. He's Derek Wills, Logan Gordon. My name is Pat Steinberg. This is your Daily Flames Roundtable on this Monday edition of Flames Talk. Okay, let's uh, transition to the team the Flames are going to play on Monday night, and that's the Washington Capitals. Uh, They'll play him for the first time this year, and uh, for the first time ever in his career, Matthew Phillips will play against the Calgary Flames in an NHL game. He's played for the Calgary Flames in a few NHL games, but after deciding not to sign back with Calgary, his hometown team and the team that drafted him in 2016, he uh, decided to sign with the Washington Capitals in free agency this year. Guys, now that he's made the caps out of camp, now that he is in the lineup for this game against the Flames, how how do we look back on Matthew Phillips' time with the Flames or, or even his departure from the Flames? Well, first of all, I was sad to see him go because uh, we've all had a chance to get to know him a little bit. I got a chance to know him uh, even better this summer because uh, we're both members of Pritis Greens. And uh, he won the Black Club Championships at our course this summer. So he's a good hockey player and a pretty good golfer, too. But I was also happy to saw- see him sign up a one-year, one-way contract with the Capitals. So regardless of where he plays this season, and he has started the year in the NHL, but even if he does go down to the NHL, He's going to make $775,000 U.S. this season. And I think he's earned that contract with what he's done at the AHL level. I don't really think that he got a a fair shake uh, as a member of the Flames. And, yeah, you can blame Daryl Sutter for not giving him a chance, probably because he's really undersized. And trust me, he is really undersized. He's 5'8", and he's listed at 160 pounds on the Capitals roster, guys, he ain't 160 soaking wet. Sorry, and he'll be the first guy to tell you that. So he's a a small player that's got a really high hockey IQ. He's got a lot of skill. He's not a burner. And and I think that in addition to his size is probably one of the things that has kept him out of the NHL for the majority of his professional career. But the Flames never really gave him a chance. And I got the sense that the management group and even some associate and assistant coaches wanted to, but the head coach just thought he was too small. And he only played three NHL games for the Flames in his uh, time with the team, uh, parts of six seasons as a pro in the Flames organization. But you look at his numbers in the AHL, 103 goals, 237 points in 265 games, led the Stockton Heat in goals assistant points two seasons ago, did the same with the Calgary Wranglers last season. I think he earned a longer look, but he didn't get it, became a UFA, and decided to to try a new organization. And, hey, Capitals are giving him a chance. They gave him a chance to, to be on the NHL roster and in the opening night lineup. They're giving him a chance uh, to play in the power play. So now we finally get to see what Matthew Phillips is 
at the NHL level. And I think the kids are in that opportunity. Yeah, I look at it, guys, as a potentially uh, big missed opportunity for the Flames to bring in and develop uh, an NHLer of their own um, and a chance that has passed them by now. I, I think that there's no other way in my mind about looking at it based on the numbers that Matthew put up as a member of the Stockton Heat and as the Calgary Wranglers, that he earned himself more than three NHL games, and he earned himself a better opportunity than the two games he got last season, which were part of an Eastern Conference road trip where he saw minimal ice time at five-on-five and really wasn't given an opportunity past that ever again to come back and and have a, a fair shake at the NHL level. And that, to me, is something that I can understand why Flames fans are frustrated. I don't know what the future holds for Matthew Phillips. Uh, I, I spoke to uh, a Washington reporter earlier today, and uh, he said, look, he absolutely earned his way onto this this roster in Washington in training camp. He wasn't gifted a spot because of that one-way contract, like you mentioned, Derek, and that's great to hear. I, I don't know that he's a full-time NHLer. I had those same questions during his time in Calgary, but they never gave it enough time in my mind to give that a fair assessment, and that's on the organization. They have to, I, I think, be more willing, regardless of the intangibles, whatever they are, if it's size or speed or whatever it is, I, I think you just look at what he did at the American Hockey League level and you sit there and say he was not given enough opportunity for the Calgary Flames to prove that he was an NHLer one way or another. So could it be a big mistake from the Calgary Flames? Could it be a minimal one? I, I have no idea. I don't know that... Just because he's made Washington now, Pat, that it means he's going to be uh, a long-time yeah. 10-year NHLer with them and a, a guy the Flames are really going to look back and miss. But I, I can pretty honestly say, looking back at his time in Calgary, that I don't think he was given a, a fair assessment at the NHL level to to be uh, sitting here today thinking that it was it was all said and done. You knew what he was. I uh, I agree completely that he was not given a fair shake. and And I think it's important to point out that this regime, I think, would have given more of a fair shake to him with Conroy as the general manager and Huska as the head coach. Both guys, you know, Craig Conroy is the guy who was instrumental in him getting him drafted in 2016. And Conroy tried to keep him. They offered a, I believe they offered him a two year deal to to stay with the Flames, but he he wanted a fresh start, and understandably so. I don't begrudge or blame the kid at all. I mean. Yeah, I'd probably want a fresh start with the way things went the last couple of years, too. Uh, and I, and Ryan Huska knows him really well from time in the American League, and I think Huska would have given him a good opportunity. So I, I think I think that the new regime is frustrated. They were put in a bad spot, and they understand that you know they lost a player, but there wasn't a ton they could have done. But here's, here's the thing that frustrates me the most about the whole situation is that, Derek, you said it, Logan, you said it. Like We don't know what Matthew Phillips is. Fully agree. He's played one NHL game this year. He's played four NHL games, period, whatever. But what frustrates me is that we won't get to find out what he is as a member of the Flames. And it frustrates me because we're, we're talking about a potentially really great story. How many homegrown Calgary minor hockey products get drafted by the Flames and have this underdog story of, of as you talked about, how undersized he is, Derek, and... The very least, it would have been nice to come away from his time in Calgary saying, well, you know what? The Flames really invested in this player and gave him every opportunity to determine whether or not he was an NHLer. 
And the two games that he got last year were laughable. It's one of the most frustrating things from last season was the fact he got two games and it was kind of like, well, prove my point. And then he's, and then he's not playing anymore. And he stuck around for two weeks. You're like, this team needs an infusion of offense. He barely got a chance. He played less than nine minutes in both games. And I thought he was fine in both games, but it's like, oh, well, didn't score. Well, well he, he's no good. And yeah, so to have that as your proving point as to whether or not the guy could play in the NHL or not it was never enough. And and so that that's what frustrates me is that it was never um, it, we never got to find out whether or not he was an NHLer with the Flames and for a story that good and for a player Derek you rattled off the numbers for a player who ripped apart the second best league in North America for two three seasons in a row to not know whether or not he's an NHL or with your organization, I, I think that, yeah, it's that's frustrating, and I think fans deserve to be frustrated for the way it went. Yeah, I would agree, and we'll see. Right now, the Capitals are without uh, scoring winger and Max Pacioretty, who I don't think is going to be back until November, so that might be what opened the door for Matthew Phillips to start the season in the NHL and to prove that he belongs in this league. And I'm still not 100% convinced, guys. I spent a long time in the AHL, as you know, and I wouldn't say I saw a lot of Matthew Phillips types, but uh, I saw a lot of guys who lacked size and who weren't elite skaters who would tear up the AHL, but even if they did get a fair shake in the NHL, it, it just was too much to overcome both being small and not being a, an elite skater. Uh, and you know, Matthew's really worked on his skating over the years. It, it certainly has improved, but he, you know, he's not a a really quick player like Johnny Gaudreau, for example. And and just just to, to throw it out there and give you an idea of how small Matthew Phillips is, I remember when he played in those uh, games for the Flames last season. I looked up his height and weight and compared them to Johnny Gaudreau's height and weight. Johnny's twenty five pounds heavier than Matthew, or at least he was last season. Just just to put it in perspective, but. He's proven people wrong at every single level, including, to your point, Pat, at the second highest level in the world, in the AHL. He's been a dominant offensive player in that league. So who am I or who is anybody else to say that he can't do it again at the NHL level? If the Capitals continue to play him in the top nine and continue to give him power play time, I think we're finally going to get a long enough look at Matt Phillips in the NHL to determine if he belongs in this league, or if he doesn't. So I'm glad he's getting a chance to, to prove people wrong again. He's earned it. Yep. Uh, good stuff, Wilsey. Uh, see you in a little bit. Okay, we'll see you soon. He's Derek Wills. He's Logan Gordon. My name is Pat Steinberg. As we start to wrap things up this hour on Flames Talk, as uh, we're available on Apple, Spotify, Google, Amazon, or wherever you get your podcast. Thanks to Cam and Taylor, our producers. Logo's on Twitter, at Fan960Logan. My name is Pat Steinberg. That'll wrap us up this hour, and that'll wrap us up on the Daily Flames Roundtable. Brought to you by Mercedes-Benz Country Hills. Book your winter detail package today for $349. Mercedes-Benz Country Hills. Minutes from the Calgary Airport.